Before we get started with this episode, I'd like to take a moment to make a special announcement. And that is to let you all know that Raised Sports now has a partnership with Cool Fire Studios. That's cool with a K. Cool Fire Studios is an amazing graphic design, printing, and art studio who we are working with to create official Raised Sports t-shirts. Now, anyone can slap a logo on a shirt, right? But what sets Cool Fire apart is they are amazing artists and great people who will work with you to create something unique and awesome specific to your needs. How do I know this? Because I've seen the early mock-ups for our shirts, and I have to say they're going to be really cool. So watch for those coming soon, and in the meantime, check out Cool Fire Studios. That's cool with a K, coolfirestudios.com. Now, on with the show. Three years ago, James Ransom suffered a concussion playing tackle football. A little over a year later, he committed suicide. He was only 13 years old. Now, this wasn't a case where James' parents didn't know that their son had suffered a brain injury. He told them he was hurt. And this wasn't a case where they weren't aware of the dangers of these kinds of injuries. They were very much aware, and they did everything they could think of to help him. Sadly, nothing they did could prevent James from sliding into depression, nor his ultimate decision to take his own life. Journalist Mirren Fader of Bleacher Report spent several months reporting and writing about James' tragic story, and the result was an in-depth, thought-provoking article that was published earlier this fall. I'd encourage you now to hit the pause button on this show, and unless you're driving in your car, go read the story on BleacherReport.com. Then come back and listen to my following conversation with Mirren Fader. Thanks for joining me, Mirren. It's good to have you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Now, your story on James Ransom is a very sad, emotional story, beautifully told. What was it like to report it? Well, thanks for that. I mean, it, it took, a, took a couple months. It took about three months um, between the reporting and writing. I really wanted to make sure that I took my time with this story. Um, I told the family early on, you know, I don't want to be one of those journalists that just kind of drops in for a couple hours and leaves. Um, I understood how difficult this was going to be for them to talk about it. So, you know, I really just kind of took my time with it. I don't think we got to talking about the, the hit or the death until, you know, many hours later. So, it was definitely a process of just listening to them, engaging where they were at in their healing and um, how far they wanted to, to go with this. With this story, what, one thing that really struck me, and I'm sure it struck a lot of people, is just how young James was. He was 13 years old. And, and I, I think on the surface, yes, that's young, but there was a story, and, sorry, an anecdote in your story at the start where you, you talk about his funeral that really illustrated how young he was. And that was that some of the kids who attended the funeral, they were wearing yellow. Can you explain why? Yeah, James loved SpongeBob SquarePants. And uh, he actually had a brief period of his life where he loved it so much, he often wore yellow shirts. Um, so it's kind of one of those heartbreaking details that um, I wanted to put early because I wanted the reader to feel invested in these characters. I wanted them to um, feel attached to them, close to them, empathy for them. Um, because a lot of times I feel like, um, unfortunately, when football or CTE or any of these things are written about, the the narrative moves forward through the mode of grief. And I really didn't want to do that. I wanted to pick my moments, like in the beginning, to make those characters invest, like I said, but kind of get away from that, because sometimes I feel it can be exploitative and focus on the journey of finding out what happened and what was going on in the brain. So I just tried to pick my moments and 
um, it was heartbreaking. And I think as you see later in the piece, his age being so young is one of the reasons why his parents um, had a difficult time understanding what was happening because at the time around 2015 when this was all going on and even now, you know, CTE and um, brain injury trauma, it's something that we associate in our heads with older men, men that have played in the NFL. And this was completely different. So I, I know there are thousands of kids out there playing football in Pop Warner and other youth organizations. And, you know, I thought it was important to tell the story of a, a younger player. Really a, a cautionary tale for sure. Now, he said that he the, the hit that kind of changed everything, he said it was a cheap shot that somebody hit him during a play and, and uh, no, but nobody really saw it. And, and you tried to get game film and could not get game film, but James didn't say anything during the game. Why, why do you think that was? Well, I think that in a moment of distress like that, it's hard to um, even articulate what is happening out loud. And I think there's several reasons we don't know them. We can only speculate them at this point. He's 12 years old. He may not even know that he had a concussion. He might not even know what a concussion is, especially in that moment where the moment of trauma where he was hit. I also think that, um, you know, his parents explained to me this kind of culture of yelling that the coaches instilled. And there was very much a sense like if you are saying you're hurt or you're crying or you're upset, then you're being weak um, and you're not tough enough. And so, you know, from a very young age, he probably learned that he was not allowed to talk about being in pain or, you know, when you're not allowed to talk about being in pain, you sort of don't really learn the difference between pain and injury. You just learn that you have to be silent for it all. And and that is a crucial lesson that kids need to be learning around this age. So I don't think he might've even been aware, but I think the, the hardest part was, was him revealing to his father after the game that, Oh, this has happened before I've been hit so hard. I've seen stars before. And so, Perhaps he saw this as routine, getting hit like this, getting concussed like this might have been just part of the game for him. Yeah, it may have been. This may have not been his first concussion for sure. Right. Now, one thing that also struck me was just how quickly James changed. I think it was uh, just right away he had trouble doing homework. He'd have nausea, balance issues, vision issues. And um, you mentioned third nerve palsy. What is, what is that? Yeah, um, it's a condition um, with the eye, and it it also he had um, he had a lot of tracking problems and, and convergence issues, and um, so he really struggled to um, like the visual spectrum that he had originally prior to the hit. He he lost um, much of that, and so he was given corrective glasses to wear this to try to um, correct this. But um, I mean, imagine that you see the world one way and then you get hit, and then you see the world a completely different way. Um, mm. Nobody really understood how to deal with that such swift and drastic change. The, par- the parents, Greg and Courtney, how, how did they react right away? They were on it pretty quickly, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, Greg and Courtney tried to figure out what was happening as quickly as possible. I mean, when they described their um, just being in their car all the time, going to vision therapists, physical therapists, you know, occupational therapists, neurologists, concussion specialists, they were just trying to figure out so many, in so many different ways and avenues, answers, and they weren't getting any. And it was really heartbreaking for them because they wanted to help their son so badly, but they had no idea how to. I think a lot of parents 
are, who are in this situation deal with this. You, you want to help, but you have no idea how, and the medical, um, you know, profession is not set up to have those immediate answers for you. There are not a lot of 13 year old kids who, um, are experiencing this and are able to sort of get that help that they immediately need. But there are, there are those kids and they do need that help. So, um, just kind of watching his parents go through this was almost a story in itself. You know, it was was as much about the parents as it was about James. I got a lot of emails from parents saying, I think this happened to my son. I think this is happening to my son. Um, And I thought that was was really interesting to me. And you also get a sense of the frustration and sort of the angst from the parents. There was one particular, I think it was only a month after the incident happened, where the mom, Courtney, saw James, you know, laying on his bed, staring at the ceiling. And she went to comfort him and say, you know, something along the lines of we're going to get through this. And he said, I don't think so. And that just struck me. And I imagine that just hit her so hard. And just, How do you deal with that? Um, you know what, that was a really chilling moment. And she described having that maternal instinct, you know, how moms just sort of know things. She knew that he wanted to take his life in that moment. Um, as a reporter, that was such a, a difficult moment for me because I wanted to, I, in my head as she was telling me this, I knew this was an important moment in the timeline. There were a lot of things that happened over the course of that year, but, you know, as a reporter, you sort of uh, pick them in your head as it's going, what you think is um, important and what you think was defining, and this is definitely one of them. And so trying to ask, like, what did the sheets look like? What did the pillows look like? Um, was he staring at the ceiling? Was, was his eyes closed? Those were really hard details to get because, you know, I want to be respectful um, of this family. And I think me reporting it was re-traumatizing them in a way. So, you know, I always had to be mindful of that. I always had to be respectful of that. From your spending so much time with them and all the reporting you did, do you have a sense that this... Uh, was a one incident that triggered this for James or was it a matter of time just from his past history that he sort of mentioned? I think that it's a tough question that I'm unable to answer, but it's definitely the vehicle with which I wanted the story to move through to try to figure out what was it? Because of course he had this horrific hit and he, his family immediately saw these changes right after. Um, but, you know, because they haven't studied the, the brain and all of these other factors, I can't conclusively say A plus B equals C. But what I can say is this is what he went through. And he also may have gotten a bunch of these hits prior. So whether it was the, the, the one hit that we were discussing in the, the game versus West Covina, or was it that plus a combination of all those um, maybe smaller concussions that he said he saw stars before, and then it just you know triggered this. We can't know, um, but I think it is important to have that discussion going because a lot of times those other ones where you've seen stars, where you quote have your bell rung, those happen all the time. But we're not talking about those. Those often go undiagnosed, and so. You know, that was a really important part of my story. It's not just the one hit. It's all the things that came before it, too. And uh, unfortunately, there's, you know, as the UC Irvine um, professor Jim Hicks said in my story, you know, there's not a really good quantitative way to study getting your bell rung. Like, what does that do physiologically in the body? So, you know, I think that there's so much more research to be done and is being done right now by a lot of, um, you know, dedicated people in academia and other think tanks. But for now, 
all of this is sort of almost a mystery. We're all trying to figure it out. People that read this story reached out and was like, I'm really depressed. I wonder if it's all those years I played football or I really suffer with intense OCD now. Could it have traced back to that concussion? We just don't know. I thought it was interesting the, re the reaction or lack of reaction you, you got from the coaches and the league and, and from Pop Warner. What is your sense of, of their reaction to, your, to this story? Well, I had heard that the coaches um, attended James' funeral and, you know, had been very active reaching out to the family. And so at first I was hopeful that they would um, that they would respond to me. Um, but when nobody was responding to me on that end and, and one coach declined, I thought, um, you know, I'm kind of not surprised. Um, nobody wants to. Everybody is kind of still grieving this loss. and. It wasn't that long ago, to be honest. And so I think that they're either still grappling with it or they just do not want to be associated with it at all. Um, I think the Pop Warner response doesn't surprise me. I, I tried to get them on the phone and they just went straight to email. Um, they are currently um, being sued in a class action lawsuit for failing to institute safety protocols. So um, it was really important for me to talk to them because um, all these things are related. You know, there's a lot of kids out there like James who are playing in these games at a very young age, as young as five years old, and um, there are not medical um, staff or athletic trainers on site very often. There are coaches who are CPR certified and trained, but, you know, they are not the most um, – they're not the most equipped, um, whether it's their education or resources or time to be tending to these injuries. So, um, yeah, I, I would have liked a more uh, in-depth, robust conversation with Pop Warner. But, um, you know, I think that's just naturally what happened was kind of the typical response. And, uh, yeah, didn't didn't make the footage available. Now, as, as I talked to more people on this project. I keep coming to the back to the question of, is it worth it? And clearly to the Ransom family, it wasn't. That Greg said that himself. It just wasn't worth it, worth it. Even if James had not died, it wasn't worth the the struggle they went through. Do you think at some point, given, given the response you've received to your article, do you think at some point that that shifts and there there is it where more people believe it's not worth it and that there is a, a significant change to the sport of football? I think that every family, every person has to figure out how they feel about this on their own. I think what we are seeing is decreased participation rates in terms of football at the high school level, middle school level. Um, young kids are not taking up football in the numbers and the, the strength that they were in previous decades. So I think that is definitely happening. That is definitely something we can point to. Um, but I think that it is going to take some time. Um, people are really wedded to this game. Their identities are very much wrapped up into it. Um, you know, Pop Warner and the NFL have a lot of similarities just in the sense of um, how much they are propped up, how much they are part of the fabric of our country and what people do. And so I think that uh, a mass movement away from the game is beginning, but it's going to take a long time and a lot of fights because a lot of people don't want to give it up. Um, and as Greg said, you know, it's, it's an invisible injury. Like you can't see what's happening inside of your school. So you pretend it doesn't exist. 
Um, you know, for me as a writer, it, it wasn't my place to say football is good, football is bad, football is worth it, football is not worth it. But I think just exploring this family's personal decision that it was not worth it to them was um, the, the route that I wanted to take. I think a lot of people do advocacy journalism and there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, I really wanted to stay grounded in the facts of what happened and try to tell a story that merges the science and the human aspect so people can uh, leave it up to themselves to make their own decisions. Yeah, that's that's great. It did. It really helps illustrate what a complicated issue this is, uh, sort of a public health colliding with um, American culture. I mean, it definitely is. It definitely is. And I think um, culture is is the right word here. When I when I found out that kids were starting as young as five years old, in my head, I was just trying to picture it. And, you know, you see the the huge helmets and the, the huge shoulder pads on these little bodies. And, you know, one one quote that didn't make it in there was um, Chris Nowitzki saying that, you know, you there is no other place in society where you're allowed to hit children on the head 500 times. And um, it was such a stark quote that it was almost too on the head, forgive the pun, but like it, it really just nailed it home um, that this is a very unique thing that is so accepted within our culture. And so these things take time to kind of unpack and figure out, you know, what are we really doing here? Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for your story and uh, thank you for joining me, Mary. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you haven't already, go read Mirren Fader's story about James Ransom. Make sure to follow Mirren on Twitter, at Mirren Fader, and look for more of her great writing at Bleacher Report. I'm Bob Harkins. This is Raised Sports. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode. Have a great day.